when I was in high school, I was not sure of myself. Just out of curiosity, how many of you adults, when you were in high school, were not sure of yourself? Not sure of who you were? Okay, take notes, students. This is a common experience. You can put your hands down. I was 127 pounds dripping wet back then. Big boy. I couldn't catch or throw a ball. Who am I? What am I supposed to do with my life? Thank God for Mr. Fisk who made room in his life for me. Mr. Fisk was the band director, but he was also somebody who followed Jesus. And we would uh, do saxophone duets together, and he would train me as a saxophonist. But as is often the case with music lessons, it was more than just music lessons. And I started learning some things about myself and about how life worked. Thank God for Mr. Fisk. Um, Then I went off to college, and I spent two years swearing off women, and then I met Jenny, and I was smitten by a girl. And, And, you know, we get into this relationship, and we're dating, and I'm like, what? We're supposed to hold hands? What? We're supposed to kiss? Now today, I'm all for that. (laughs) Back then, I was not, I was emotionally challenged. I was relationally challenged. And so uh, uh, I, I, I married her. And then after I married her, I was like, I'm supposed to give her space in the apartment? I'm supposed to let her be her? What? Thank God for Lyle and Mary, who were, uh, they were a couple that made room in their lives for us. And I got to learn, oh, so like when Jenny says X, she means like X. Oh, you know, because sometimes you miss the obvious in relationships. And so, uh, I learned a lot of things, thank God for Lyle and Mary, that they made room in their lives for us. Um, And then when I was 35 years old, I felt like God was calling me to plant a church in Nicholasville. Nicholasville, the place where churches go to die. (laughs) Did you know that's an actual uh, epitaph that Nicholasville has earned? By the way, as an aside, I fully intend that Generations Community Church is going to be part of the tide that turns for old Nicholasville. And the day will come when people will say of Nicholasville, oh, you want to see people who have a kingdom mindset that are working together and making a difference in the city? Yeah, you need to go to Nicholasville, Kentucky. You want to see people who are on fire about passing on faith to the next generation? You need to go to Nicholasville, Kentucky. But that's an aside. Back then, back then, 10 years ago, you know, I was like, I'm, we we're going to plant a church. And we started, we were so full of ourselves and confident. And we started with kid stuff. We didn't even have a worship service. And we would have people come through the doors and they would do this thing. And then afterward, they would say to me, oh, like, you're not a real church. And I would go, church planning is hard. I want to (laughs) quit. Thank God for Charles, who made room in his life for me. Charles started a church that started 18 other churches that started another 20 other granddaughter churches. And I would go, Charles, I would want to quit. And he'd go, that's fine. You can quit if you want to, but I think you should just decide to quit quitting. What? Yeah. I wanted to quit the fr- You wanted to quit, Charles? Yeah, I didn't. Guess what? Yeah, you shouldn't either. And I, you know, I learned some things because Charles made, made room in his life for me. I often wondered what would have happened to me if 
Mr. Fisk hadn't made room, if Lyle and Mary hadn't made room, if Charles hadn't made room, would I have gone to Wheaton? Would I have stayed married? Would I have started a church? I mean, you know, I wonder about those things. Those are just the individuals and people who made room for me and for us. There have been churches that did the same at First Baptist Church, Dr. and Mrs. Webster in the, in the college and single class, because, you know, Baptist is all by age and category. And so we were in the college, we were in the college, mar- we were in the married class when we got married, but the married class with no kids class, because then there was the married class with kids class. It's all, that's how we rolled. At any rate, and thank God for Dr. and Mrs. Webster, and they got, they, we learned better, more how to relate to one another. Then we, at Faith Evangelical Covenant Church, there were like these three other couples and we hung out together, and it was like, oh, so when we fight as a couple, it's not the end of the world. Oh, thank God. You know, I thought we'd have to get divorced because, you know, we threw shoes at each other, and we're pretty sure you shouldn't do that if you love each other, you know. And, and so they helped us. They made room. And then at Church of the Savior, they allowed us to work with kids and teach Sunday school classes. The crazy people. <laughs> what were they thinking? And then they made room for us in small group. And so... I know what it is. I know what it is to be searching in life. I know what it is at times to wonder in life. I know what it is at times to have been an outsider and to have been new. And you know what? A lot of you in this room have been in the same boat at one time or another. You have. You know what it is to be the one new person. You know what it is to be the outsider. Um, There is a turning point in the history of the church where... Christianity goes from this tiny little movement of Jews that are convinced the Messiah came to this global, multinational, multi-ethnic movement of people who are convinced that God has come to the planet and God has made a way. Little tiny movement of Jews. The big, tiny, worldwide movement. And it, the tipping point is in Acts chapter 11. If you brought a Bible, I want you to Open your Bible to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 19. This is after Saul is converted. Saul encounters Jesus on a road to Damascus to arrest other Christians, and, you know, it's this, like, Michael Bay movie, you know, giant light and all this other stuff, okay? And, and, and it's also after Cornelius and his entire household repent and believe in Jesus, Okay, so an entire household of non-Jews commits to Jesus. And then something big happens in Acts chapter 11. And that's where we're going to pick it up. Verse 19 and following. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. There is an explosion in this little passage right here in Acts, and it happened in Syria. This is the tipping point. In, in the story of Christianity because now it's, it's expanding outward. It's expanding outward geographically and it's expanding outward culturally. And it's Acts chapter 11. And this explosion happens in 
Antioch of Syria. I know, the place you say to your spouse, honey, let's not go to Vegas. Let's go to Antioch of Syria. You know, let me explain. Antioch of Syria was, the, was a crossroads of the ancient world. Every language under the sun was spoken in Antioch. It was multi-ethnic. It was multicultural. There were goods coming from Asia, from the far parts of the Mediterranean, and all flowed through Antioch. You could hear most any language spoken in Antioch, but the language of trade was Greek. That was the language you spoke if you wanted to do business. So you have Jewish believers that are around, um, in and around Jerusalem, and all of a sudden the Jews around Jerusalem and the government steps up. It's, you following Jesus? Come with me, sir. You following Jesus? We're going to take you to a special place. They started persecuting, arresting, and so the these early followers of Jesus, these Jewish early followers of Jesus, they get out of town, they flee. And some of them reach Antioch of Cyprus. What makes this particular group different is that most of the Jews, as they spread out, they would go to the synagogue and they would tell other Jews, we found the Messiah. It's this guy named Jesus. I know he's from Nazareth, but get over it. I'm telling you, he's the Messiah. He's come. I mean, we've seen these wonders. This is what's happened. He didn't stay dead. But this group of believers who go to Antioch, this group of Jews, they start preaching to who? The Gentiles. They start saying this message to people outside of Judaism, and an explosion happens because these Gentiles are like, what? God, are you telling me that I, I just repent and believe, and I mean, I'm in with God? I, be, I go from outsider to insider? What? yes. You become an adopted son, daughter, with the full rights and privileges, just like Jesus has. You're part of God's family now. What? I mean, this was attractive, and it got traction. These unnamed evangelists start sharing this. And so a large number, I believe, yep, a large number. So here's explosion, ground zero. They believed. Well, let's keep going, because the church responds. Verse 22. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened... They sent Barnabas to Antioch. Notice, it's not like, woo, there was much rejoicing, there was a big party. It was, hey, go see what's going on. <laughs> okay, so Barnabas goes. So let's keep, let's keep reading here. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. That, that phrase toward the beginning, when he arrived and saw the evidence of God's blessing, literally it's, he came and saw the grace of God and was glad. Barnabas, just, Barnabas didn't see just a bunch of outsiders in somebody's house praising God. He saw the grace of God at work. He saw a, a tipping point. He saw God including outsiders and making them insiders. And uh, N.T. Wright, this guy I love reading about the New Testament, he says this of Barnabas, it takes faith and humility to see that. And he's right. So Barnabas shows up representing the church in Jerusalem to make sure the stuff that's going down is legitimate stuff. And he's like, this is God at work. This is God's hand. This is awesome. So what does he do? He he goes off to get somebody to help. Verse 25. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for 
Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that believers were first called Christians. So Barnabas realizes he needs help, and he gets Paul. We need somebody to make room for these believers to teach and disciple them on how to follow Jesus. I know. There's this guy, Paul. I'm going to go get him, and he does. Brings him to Antioch, and they stay there a whole year. They taught, they loved, they discipled, they modeled what it means to follow Jesus for an entire year. And in this big city, these Jewish and Gentile followers of Jesus are first called Christianus, Christianus, Christians. You ever wonder where we get the name? Boom, there it is. You know why we got the name? Guess what the Greek word for Messiah is? Christos. So these were Jewish and Gentile people who believed that the Messiah came. They're Messiahans. <laughs> In English. Or maybe that'd be Spanglish. I don't know. Messiahans. I can't even say it. French. Why do, we do, why do we always throw French under the bus? Okay, so at any rate, Christianus. So Jews who believed that the Messiah had come, Gentiles who got on board with the program, and they're called Christians. So let me start pulling out of this passage. If you're here today, and if there's a part of you that's thinking, you know, as you were talking about Mr. Fisk, as you were talking about these people, you know what? I really wish people would make room in, in their life for me. I'm, I'd love to be let in somewhere. I get that. I appreciate that. Um, remember last week in the text, we share, I shared with you that These people were so hungry, they begged Paul and Barnabas. They said, please, please, teach us more. We want to know more. They took some initiative, and they expressed their desire to learn. So if you're here today, and you're thinking to yourself, I want somebody making room for me, I would say to you, take some initiative and express that desire. Um, Part of our story with Lyle and Mary is me saying to Lyle, look, I see the way you and Mary, you know, relate to one another. And that's not the way my parents did. And, you know, I kind of really don't want to mess this up. And I really would like to stay married to Jenny, like, until one of us dies or both of us die together and this blaze fire off a cliff, you know, the whole thing. Hopefully not that way because I don't know if State Farm would pay for that. But, you know, (laughs) I wanted to – I was motivated not to mess up my relationship with Jenny. And I saw a couple that – at the time were in their 50s and still loved each other and I thought I want that would you help me to do what it is that I want to get where you are would you give me some time please and they made room so I would say that to you to those of you that are looking and hungry and want somebody to make room but I also want to pose a question for you and me okay what if what if God wants to use you to make room for somebody else just like Paul and Barnabas, just like Lyle or Mary, to make room for others, to make room for outsiders. For most of us, I believe we're probably too busy to notice. Now, 
if you're at a place right now and you've got like a major health issue that you're battling, maybe this isn't a season for you. Or your parent, you know, you're spending all kinds of time because your parents got Alzheimer's and da 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 And, you know, maybe you get a pass. But for the rest of us, we're just busy with stuff. And we could make room for somebody in our lives. We could. Somebody who's an outsider with God. Somebody who's maybe an insider with God but's hungry and wants to grow and change just like you want to grow and change. And if you're going to do that, if you're going to make room, it takes three ingredients. Three ingredients. It's going to take time. Time is the most precious commodity we have, right, as Americans? It's more valuable than money. It really is. And when you give somebody real deal time, you're giving them something truly remarkable because it's important because you can't get it back and we all get the same amount and so you got it it's a huge gift but it's going to take time so making room for somebody means giving them time the other ingredient that's necessary is what i call relational safety that's where basically you decide that you're going to suspend judgment on them and their life and you're going to enter into a dialogue and conversation and you're going to ask them questions who's jesus what's which, what, which way's up? Which way's down? How do you know? What's life all about? Da, 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 da. You're having a dialogue back and forth. And you're allowing them to kick the tires and you're allowing them to say, eh, Jesus is a good teacher, but that's all I see. Okay. Well, how do you know? Da, da, da. I mean, so relational safety that allows them to be them and think what they think and articulate it. That's the second ingredient. The third ingredient is truth. At some point, you weave in the word of God and what God has to say. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what God has to say. What do you think about that? What it, Boom. You bring, and those three ingredients, did you notice that's kind of how Jesus rolled? If you pay attention to the life of Jesus in the Gospels, he gave people time, he gave them relational safety, and then he brought in the word of God. And that's how Jesus rolled. Um, so I'm just going to ask you, collectively, would you be willing to make room in your life for someone. Maybe, just maybe, God wants to use you to do that. And there are a lot of different ways. Like right now, I know in the youth group, you could talk to Brian and Carol Hall. They're looking for um, people that will basically pray for a student over the course of a semester or a year. And uh, it's this kind of a commitment, but you're going to start to pray for them. And then before you know it, what's going to happen is you're going to start to care about them. You're going to want to know what's going on in their life. And you're going to want to know, are they making the right decisions? Or are they on the right course? Where are they? That's one thing. For those of you that are students, uh, if you're in middle school, high school, even early college, I'm going to tell you that the first graders through fifth graders, they consider you demigods that came down from Mount Olympus. They do. You were there once. You remember looking at teenagers this way. Okay? You could be investing time with them and helping point them to Jesus. Okay? You never know. You never know what God's going to do and how God's going to use you in making room for someone else, especially an outsider. You don't know. Trust me, Mr. Fisk had no idea that I'd be a pastor. Lyle and Mary had no idea I'd plant a church, right? So you, you don't know what's going to happen. And because I'm a history buff, I want to tell you about this woman who did the very thing that I'm talking about and who didn't know what she hit upon. And if they'll put up her picture, this is Henrietta. Henrietta Mears. Henrietta Mears. This picture was taken in 1963, shortly before she died. Henrietta is famous in Sunday school circles because she totally revolutionized Sunday school and the way that we teach kids in America. But Henrietta did something else. 
she made room in her life for young men and women. And she did these college conferences on a regular basis. And then she would make time. She'd have them in her house, and she would develop a relationship with them because she was convinced that if these young men and women would just surrender themselves to God completely, that God could do big, momentous things. She was convinced of it. I mean, it's like she, you know, was on drugs, okay? And, she, you know, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. And so there was a young man that uh, his family called him Billy Frank. Billy Frank was struggling with the authority of the Bible, and he didn't know. This is in the 1940s, by the way. So she did these conferences in the late 1940s, and he wasn't sure in the 1940s if this was actually the Word of God because of textual criticism and all this stuff that was coming into vogue. He was like, well, how can I be sure? How can I really know? This stuff really isn't universal. It's just culturally conditioned. I mean, on and on and on. It was a very big crisis of faith. And at one of these conferences, the college, notice they had really cool names back then. She, they were called the College Briefing Conferences. You know, nowadays we choose lame names like Ignite, Big Stuff in Flame. Back then it was College Briefing Conference. <laughs> okay? You can get ex- you're feeling the excitement, aren't you? If you'll put up the next picture, here's some of the people that were at that conference. Here's Henrietta on the far right. But if you keep going to the left you'll see young Billy Frank. You may know him by his more famous name, William Franklin Graham, who was struggling that summer in in 1949 with whether or not he could trust the Bible to be the Word of God. And Henrietta Mears made room in her life for this young man. She also made room in her life for the man who started Youth for Christ. I mean, I could go down. Bill Bright, I mean, holy cow. But... This is in July, and he cemented for himself that he could trust the Bible because of Henrietta's influence, and he resolved that he would attempt something big for God because he did what Henrietta asked him to do. He completely surrendered himself. Three months later, he launched the Los Angeles Crusade. He scheduled this crusade to go on for three weeks. They had to extend it to eight weeks he preached to 300,000 people, 3,000 of whom made decisions for Jesus. It was the starting point of what became a lifelong ministry of presenting the gospel to people. I'm telling you, you never know what God's going to do when you make room. And I guarantee that Henrietta is glad that she made room in her life for young men and women to help them fully surrender to God and believe that God could do the impossible if they would just have faith, all right? You don't know, and I don't know, what's in that room next door. Those G-towners, come on, you don't. It's worth making this investment. I want to pray for you and pray for me. God, so much of American life is narcissistic and everything in our culture tells us to look out for number one to take care of ourselves first but you know what there are people that are hungry there are people that are ready there are people who are teachable just like in acts teach us more we want to hear more about this jesus so god i ask that you would give us eyes to see people 
that maybe, just maybe, you would have us make room for in our lives. Give us the faith to help point them to Jesus. And God, I ask that you would raise up a thousand Billy Grahams in this generation. Our country needs it. I would love to see that in some of our kids. So God, I pray most of all that we would be a church that's known for making room. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.